You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Chris and I just railed you for like the last, oh, 10 minutes. Longer than that. Good. I'm excited to hear it when I edit it tomorrow. I didn't hit the record button, Bracken. I'm not a newbie. We should talk about you, Chris. What do you think? I don't know. I was enjoying that. Apart from the maths bit, that threw me way out. I was like, oh, shit, numbers. I get, like, panicky when people start talking about numbers. I'm like, I'm just going to shut up. You know when people, like, split the bill on the kind of guy who hides in the corner and just stays quiet and just waits for someone to tell me how much I've got to pay? I'll keep that in mind. (laughs) We have Chris Shipley today. The pleasure of introducing this man. Met you when? About a year ago, Chris? Yeah, I think we are about about a year when we first first hooked up. Yes. Yeah, he he, he swiped right on me online, dropped into my, <laughs> my DMs and asked yeah. if I was interested in working with an overseas athlete. You, you must have had a wide search radius on your Tinder. I did. Cross paths. I, I set up a profile in every geographic region. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. You cast a wide net. I get it. <laughs> I, just, I just swipe right on everyone. It's a numbers game. Smart. Yeah, so that's why we mesh so well. We'll both say yes to anything. Now, so he reached out. We started working together. And this is now um, we're entering our second season working together. But this has almost nothing to do with that. Like, I enjoy working with Chris, and I hope he enjoys working with me. But the fact is, he just has a unique story. And I told him, what, Chris, maybe a few months ago, we should stop this talk right now and save it for an episode. And he said something like, oh, absolutely not. No one wants to hear me talk. I don't (laughs) want to do that. I'm no good at that. With that accent, Chris, you could say absolutely nothing of value, and people would drool over you here in the States. So it's already gold. What, my terrible British accent? <laughs> well, it's authentic, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's authentic, but it's not like uh, Hugh Grant or anything, is it? I don't even know if he's authentic at this point. I don't know. <laughs> You're a young Hugh Grant. Oh, more gosh. roguish. More rough around the edges. Rough hands. He is. And then that's what part of what we'll get to is he's he's a bit more rough around the edges in his backstory and his life than your stereotypical distance runner. Now, every time we go over to the UK, we get a different story than we get from here, whether it's Albin doing his roller hockey, or if it's Natasha doing her dressage and show jumping with horses. Uh, It's just a different world than we live in, but he lived in a different world within a different world. And, And every story he tells me, he thinks is boring. And it's like, man, I've never experienced any of that over here. And that's awesome. And we need to talk about it. So eventually everyone around him said, Chris, suck it up. Go on the podcast. People will enjoy hearing it. And I think we have his wife to thank for finally just pressuring him in to come on. She'll love that. She's in fact, everything that I do is probably because of her. She makes me do everything. (laughs) Is she the one who snuck out of the room when I hopped on? She did. She did. Okay. She had to make sure everything was working. I've got about six, well, no, three computers here. I'm like the, I've got like a bat cave going on just in case I need to like bring up stuff. And I wasn't sure everything was going to work. I'm not too good with computers. So Chris has a lot of skills. Technology isn't one of them. No, technology is not one of them. She and I have never actually met 
but I see her pretty much every other meeting when she rushes in to save him from like a pop-up or a, <laughs> some sort of headphone issue. Everything's working today, though. I think I've got it. I've got it nailed. So, Chris, you, uh, I know Bracken knows all this, but I, I don't know any of it other than um, perusing on your website, um, which I believe is probably updated last a couple of years ago when you had this big venture we're going to end up talking about. But uh, like, where do you live? What's your current pursuits? And like, I know obviously you're racing and things like that, but give me like a little bit of backstory, like who you are, where you live, what you do, all that. So, obviously, I live in the UK. Um, I'm from the south part of the UK, which is near Southampton, probably mid-south. It's right in between the east and the west in a town called Allsford, which is about five miles from Winchester, which used to be the old English capital of the UK. It's where all the Saxons and shit were from, I think. I'm not too sure with the history on that, but yes. And uh, I run uh, most of the time my obstacle race, just specifically what I train for. That's uh, so why I uh, reached out to Bracken. Um, and then... I think mainly what they what Bracken wanted to talk about on here was that um, what was it three years ago, four years ago? Uh, I did a sort of round trip around the UK on foot. I wouldn't even say mainly. I feel like with most people that would be the mainly, like bring you in to talk about being self-supported on foot around the UK. But I feel like that's just the final piece of the puzzle I'll put together <laughs> today. It's a story. And if I'm not mistaken, from what I gathered. Um... You, you smashed that adventure. You were way ahead of projection. It was a very successful event, correct? So you did something right. It went really well. I mean, I the time scale was on the, the basis of like uh, the three other people that had done it before me. Uh, they'd done like 10, 10 months, I think they took. And I did it in five months. Well, just under six months. And, uh, you know, the... the the route can change quite a lot in that. So, you know, it probably wasn't exactly the same as theirs. I mean, I did follow one guy's map a little bit, but yeah, I just, I just sort of chipped away at it every day. Didn't overdo it and just kept knuckling forward and keep going. I would be a broken man, a very, very broken man on a number of levels. I think if I did that, there's a lot of good stuff. Let's just, let's just save this story for when we get there. Cause there's a lot of good stuff about his and it's shocking that he wasn't a broken man. Mm-hmm. Well, then we call this a teaser. They've been teased now. Yeah, we, we've we've got him on the hook. Now let's, <laughs> let's 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 go back in time, Chris. Let's go back in time. Chris doesn't fancy himself a storyteller, but he's going to tell us a story today. It's really hard. Like I was chatting to my um my labor at work today, and uh, we was trying to like practice doing this, and every <laughs> word that I said had a swear word in it. I was like, "Fucking when I did." Oh well, I don't really swear too much, but I was like, "When I did this and did it," and he's like, "Do you really think you could be swearing that much?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, probably not." So. It's going to be difficult not to uh, have a foul mouth. So if I do swear, I do apologize. I've been working on that myself. That's a work in progress here as a podcast host. So Chris, you're in good company, sir. We can both work on it together. Yeah, should we get a disclaimer out? Parental advisory. There's two things. First is that, well, three, we do have parental advisory on our iTunes episodes. So it does pop up. People are aware. Second is we want the real Chris which is rough around the edges and the audience deserves that. And then the third is everything sounds more appropriate in a British accent. (laughs) Like if I were to use a certain word, it would come off as harsh and you'd say it and they'd be like, Oh, that was cute. Oh, see how that goes. Yeah. So just be (laughs) cute for us. All right. Take us back. Start with young Chris. 
what was childhood like for you? What were you into? Bring us up to how you found running. Well, so I suppose well, we're going back to the very beginning, are we? As far back as you think we need to. So, Tinder, how old are you right now as we're talking to you? I don't know that. I'm 35. Just turned 35, actually. Okay. Yeah. Young 35. Um, so where are we going to go back? I suppose growing up, I was always quite active. My dad, he's a, he teaches jiu-jitsu, so we've always had an active upbringing. My mum rode horses and things. Uh, always out and about, riding bikes. We lived in the country, so, I mean, probably not like back country over in the States. It's quite small country over here. So we had like horses, rode motorbikes, fucked around on the like, outside, really. Um, I don't know. What else do you want to sort of know about the younger days? Did you do any sort of organized sports or were you just active outside? No, nah, organized sports don't really exist over here. I mean, you get football, uh, soccer. But that's about it, really. And that's only in school. So, yeah, it's like after school clubs you get at a school. Nothing really goes on. Uh, so unless you like pay to go into it, I think. We, we didn't have anything. I mean, we had we had like after school, you know, after school football or you'd have like after school hockey or something or after school. That's pretty much it, really. Did you participate in jujitsu? Well, when I was younger. Yeah, so because my dad teaches it, I always, we always sort of participated in obviously growing up, you're like messing around in the garden. He used, he used to have like sticks and things he did try try and fight us with sticks and whatnot and uh he had like a gym upstairs so it was always like oh he had his because we had the like he had his like i say it's a dojo it was not really a dojo it was like um it was in a what do you call it it was in a art studio because he got this like permission to use this place because they called it martial arts and because it was a place that like did performing arts like theater stuff they sort of let him train there so he had all his stuff there, like crash mats and whatnot. And we used to go down there and join in on the warm-ups and do like back uh, flips and things off of like the radiators onto the crash mats and, and do bits and bobs like that. That was pretty cool. That was quite young. Um, did do a bit of training when I was young, but because he, he mainly taught adults, you know, he didn't really join in too much. Sort of got thrown around by the adults quite a bit, actually. That was quite cool. Nice to chuck you around a bit. I believe that. I asked for a quite a specific reason. So I don't know if this is coincidence or more people do jujitsu than I realize, but two of the athletes I coach actively do jujitsu in the sense in which they're in their twenties and they're still competing. And when I started coaching them, I said, we're not going to take your jujitsu practices into consider. I'm going to program how I want to program for you and we'll see if we can make it all work. And they were a little, a little reticent. One person was, and then they sent me their heart rate data from a jujitsu practice. I don't know what they call it, not sparring. And it looked like the most intense interval run workout ever prescribed. And I was like, holy crap. Like, we, we clearly need to factor this into what we're doing. I really vastly underestimated the intensity of jujitsu, thinking of just a couple of guys playing slap ass on a mat, and I was wrong. So yeah. is that accurate? Because the heart rate data was like a 70-minute session with 130 or 40 some beat per minute average and the spikes were in the 180s and I was like holy smokes this is training that accurate yeah, yeah I guess so they, they do mainly BJJ like on the floor grappling and things was it great great question but I just I just it's a very intense endeavor especially in, yeah yeah right? I mean, we, we we do a um it's it's 
sort of a self-defense jujitsu. So a lot of it's up up and out. You just work on defense against um, like things that would happen in the real world, just like self-defense stuff. But yeah, we did like one-to-one stuff and that can get quite intense. You're going at each other for quite a while, just throwing each other, getting up off the floor, throwing each other, getting up off the floor, things like that. So I guess it is quite intense. I've never really tracked my heart rate because you have to wear the strap. So. Mm. I guess I was just, you know, we always like to, and maybe this isn't your case, but don't we, Bracken, we like to draw parallels between like childhood and why why somebody may have a talent in their older ages. And so that's my curiosity, a little bit of what I would eventually get at. But it doesn't sound like you carry that into adulthood. <laughs> he still rolls to this day. He'll, he'll still do do his jujitsu sessions. In fact, we added it back in a couple months ago. Well, yeah, we did. Yeah, I haven't been down too much. I mean, it, with COVID, it, it kind of put a big, big stop to it over the last couple of years. But my old man, he's, I mean, he's, he's almost in his seventies and he's still throwing people around and he is losing his mind that he can't train every day. Well, not every day, but every other day, every two days a week, which is what he does, but he's going mad for it. One parallel I think we can draw is that every grappler I know has phenomenal grip strength and endurance because it's such a finger and forearm intense exercise, especially uh gi based jujitsu. Mm. You're all, I mean, it's not much different than grabbing onto a rope or um, a sheet or anything in an OCR race where like, you're just trying to control something that's not really designed to be controlled and you're using all grip to do it. And I would say Chris falls directly in line with that, where he's definitely an obstacle completion guy. Yeah. I've got good grip strength. I mean, a lot of them grapplers aren't a scaff either. So I've got doubles grip. It's true. I'm kind of shocked, like as far as organized sports in high school, because that's we're pretty, you know, I guess narrow scoped over here. We don't really look beyond our own blinders here in the states. Sometimes, like you really don't have that many organized sports, like growing up, like options throughout your your school. We definitely didn't. I don't know what it's like in bigger cities and things, but where we were, nah, we didn't have much. I mean, we had, like I say, like people play football after school. They had like a football team. Um, that was pretty much it for our school. Uh, I played How big was your school? Well, weren't that big. We only had, so the junior school only had six. I want to turn that off. Uh, our junior school only had uh, six classes and they were about 30 people in a class. And then my secondary school, that probably had, uh, probably in each year, so you had five years, is it? So six, seven, no, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So yeah, six years. And each of those years probably had four or five different form groups or tutor groups. I don't know what you call them over there, but different groups. And they probably had about 30 people in each one as well. So not massive. Yeah, that's that's not huge. But the difference is, is that over here, the first high school I taught at was very small, about those same. But we we had two sport options every single season for people. Ah. So interesting that the, the rural areas of... I mean, we uh, had PE. We had PE every week, every day. Well, I think you had it like twice or twice a week. PE, yeah. PE. Yeah, we have. Every, yeah, everyone has that every day here. Oh, do you have it every day? Most Usually. most schools do. Oh, yeah. lucky! I don't know. Maybe they do it now. It's probably quite big now. They want people to be fitter, don't they? You must have been very, very rural. It wasn't well, not like probably as rural as you can get in in Britain. I mean, nothing. Okay. Well, no, I mean, down in the west coast, they're they're pretty out the way. But, yeah, it wasn't mega rural. To be fair, it was an old army town, or it was an army town. So throughout secondary, you didn't do anything? No team, no soccer, or, f- sorry, no football? No, I rollerbladed. I rollerbladed. That that was my thing. Aggressive inline skater. 
Yeah, because that was a thing that you could do without you. You could skate without actually having to be part of anything. You just needed a pair of rollerblades. Go to the skate park, which was about a half hour drive. My dad used to drop me off there, and you skate all day. It used to be great. That was my thing. I I loved that. I was doing that from how old was I? So I started that in junior school when I was probably in year six, and then I didn't stop that until till I was probably stopped doing that when I broke my collarbone when I was about 14, 15. Broke your collarbone doing that? Yeah, so I broke it. Uh, it was just the start of the summer holidays. I was down in the skate park, did a big 360 over the jump box, stacked it, fell on my shoulder, heard the crack, and then that was it. I just didn't really skate that much that, that through that summer. And then after summer finished, I was messing around the school field doing like flips and things, and then I landed on it again, broke it again. I mean, I've got a big of a... I don't know if you can see that, but it's a bit of a lump. Oh, yeah. Lump there. Yeah, that's a lump. So, yeah, they were good times, I skating. So what did that transition into? You broke your collarbone twice that summer, and what did you do after that? Smoked weed. Yeah. <laughs> Naturally. Is that when it started? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There wasn't much else to do. I mean, during secondary school, I moved to school, so I started off in one school. And then in year nine, I moved to another school and then I broke my collarbone that summer when I moved. And then I suppose just trying to find some people to hang out, how, hang out with, just probably ended up just hanging around with the wrong people who liked smoking the old wacky tobacco. That was in high school? Yeah, high school. Did you have like the, the culture? And I don't know, because where I grew up, it was the culture for better, well, for worse, actually. But um, I would say like half the kids who were good athletes would still sneak off at lunch and smoke weeds. Like I never, I never touched it, but some of my buddies who are high end soccer football players, however you want to look at it, actual American football players would go out and, and smoke quite often, but yet still be athletes. Did those two worlds not really mesh at uh, the time? Cause for some reason they did where I went to school and it was very bizarre. I suppose if some of the people who play football and that smoke weed and things, I, I imagine if sport was quite big, people probably would do that. Over here. I mean, I used to run to the dealer. So that's where your running began. <laughs> that's where my running... Run, run? Yeah, run to the dealer. Yeah. How far of a run are we talking? It wasn't that far. <laughs> I mean, it used to take me about half hour, 40 minutes. I don't know how fast I was going. Well, that's that's a very long run for the casual, the casual drug user. A half hour, 40 minute run. Yeah, it's quick, <laughs> quicker than the slow walk. That's for sure. <laughs> We're getting somewhere now. That was your role in secondary school, is you were the one who would run to the dealer and back? Yeah, or run to the cash machine as well to get the money. Oh. Back in our days, there was only, what do you call them over there, ATMs. So the ATMs were quite few and far between. So like, if you had to get money out, you had to like, get there quick. And people were like, oh, can you get back quickly? It's like, oh, I'll just run there. Fuck it. Why you? Because I'd run there. I didn't say no to shit. So <laughs> I don't know, maybe I enjoyed it back then, just without knowing it. So how many runs are we talking per week? Oh, not many. That's just like getting places, isn't it? So whenever the whenever whenever the need happened, you'd do it. Like once a week, three nah, times a week. Oh, okay. So we couldn't call it training. I wouldn't call it training. I'd call it not having a car. <laughs> but you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was quite good. I mean, I would, I was always able to run there and back without stopping. So. Yeah. So did that progress all the way through secondary school until you graduated? Pretty much. I mean, yeah, so you just, after after school, 
I started, well, to be fair, as soon as I finished school, I mean, I was only 16, I started scaffolding. So you, you guys go through school quite long, longer than us. But we, we finish over here, especially secondary school. I think they changed it now, but back then, in secondary school, you either, you, you just finished school, you could either go on to higher education, like your college and your universities and things, or you could go in the real world and get a job. And I just went and got, well, my uncle owned a scaffold firm. So then I just, as soon as I finished school, just started working for him. Now, I was unsure what a scaffolder actually did. We use scaffolding over here, but I didn't know what a scaffolder was. So for anyone else who feels that way listening, please clarify for us. So a scaffolder is usually, well, uh, I'll do a good term, which is we work in the construction industry. We put we put a, a platform to work on, on. We could do a platform to work on on anything on, on anything. We can do support to support structures. We can, we just, we, we create access so people can gain access to places uh, using tubes and poles and whatnot. I think the best way you can describe what we use is what they use on obstacle rigs, you know, like the tubes that they hang and monkey bars off and things. Mm. Like what would be some of the jobs like you've done recently? Like what would be like a couple of examples? So recently I just finished doing a job inside a shit tank. So it's a tank where they basically churn up all the shit that comes from people's houses and things. So they took all that out. They're basically, they're reconditioning this shit tank and they're putting a new ceiling on it and like doing some other bits and bobs. So I basically put a scaffold up internally, which is like, um, so it started off at the bottom as a, like a cone shape. I built a scaffold in through that going around. And then in the middle of that, it was supporting this um steel structure that was holding the roof on so they could cut the roof out in smaller pieces without the middle bit falling down basically mm. that that sound right that sounds yeah it sounds about right technical sounds like there's yeah. some engineering or some crap going on in there these are complicated yeah, deals it's engineering but i'm thick as shit so it's like one of the jobs where you do engineering stuff but you don't actually have to have much brains I suppose you do, actually. That's that's an understatement. Yeah, that is a bit of an understatement. But what I didn't understand is they use human cranes. So another reason for his grip and his pull power is that he's on a pulley manually lowering or raising all the materials all day long, every day. Yeah, not so much these days now that I'm at the top, but especially back in the younger days. I used to spend weeks just on it. We call it a rope and wheel. So basically, like, like Bracken said, it's, it's on a pulley. You've got one end of rope. You tie the other end on and you pull all your materials up like that. Mm. Hercoist doesn't stand a chance. That's exactly. Well, the thing is with a Hercoist, I once failed it once because I think the pulley got stuck and I got some serious fucking stick for that. Some <laughs> serious stick. I run with a, an electrician guy called Mark Dixon and he took the piss right out of me for that. Never let it down. In fact, he still doesn't <laughs> let me let it down. And it annoys me, so... Hopefully never, ever fail that again. But the pulley was, you know, when the pulley gets stuck. Mm-hmm. It's jammed in there. It's yeah. jammed, yeah. It got jammed real bad. So you went into scaffolding into your uncle's firm at 16. Yeah, 16. You are 35 now. So we've got nine years to cover. Try not, try, try nine, 19 years to cover. What did I say? N- nine. 19 years to cover. <laughs> and we have 16 to go until you run around Britain. Uh, so what... What transpired between year one of scaffolding, your the running weed smoker, and 
then you became an athlete. What happened in between? Oh, there was a lot of drinking and drugs, I think. Not a lot else happened up until about 25. Just lots and lots of drinking, lots of smoking, lots of doing pills and taking ecstasy. But yeah, just doing that. He'll undersell it, but he the way he's described it to me, the scaffolding, the construction, the dock work, you know, all that industry is just a rough lifestyle. They're records. Most of them, not all of them. A lot of them, a lot of them are records. I mean, on my on my CV, what do you call your CV over there? Your um, resume, resume, resume. Uh, yes. Your re- yeah, sorry. Your resume. On my resume, it says, "A hundred percent will pass a drugs test." Because mm. it's so common in your yeah. In your, most yeah. scaffolders will not pass a drugs test, so it gets you good. So it's nine years of that. You're you're clumping nine years of your life into the scaffolding kind of partying phase, almost a decade, you would say. Not really that long. Yeah, sixteen to twenty-five. Would I guess I'm the math guy here? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what was the typical day and week like then? So you just you'd get up, you'd go to work if you made it. You'd come home, you just go to the pub. If you stay longer, you just buy some shit, get on it, and then Friday will come, you'll really get on it. And then Saturday, Sunday, well Sunday will go. Monday, you might turn up on Monday. You might not. Not a lot of people do Monday club. Um, Tuesday, this just goes every day that week. I mean, booze was cheap then as well. I mean, you, I don't know how people could afford to go out now, but you used to be able to go out at 20 quid, stay out all night. Well, not all, not all night, pub shut at 11. But. Would that be a culture where, like, you'd have a beer in hand at, on a job site at times? I, I never did. I know a few people who did. I know people who used to drive home with a couple, well, I say a couple of cans, used to drive home with cans of beer, Bottles of wine they used to drive home with, things like that. It's pretty dodgy. I used to think that was dodgy even back then. But yeah, people love to drink. People still do, I think. What is the saying? You're like the, you're kind of like the average of the five closest people to you or whatever you say, Bracken, right? Something along mm-hmm. that lines. Was that was that true of that time for you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, especially when I started at 16, I mean, everyone I was hanging around with, there was all older guys. There was all in their like thirties and forties, even some of them in their fifties, and that's 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 pretty much all they did. Like just drink and smoke and just get on it. And I suppose you look up to them at sixteen. You don't you don't see any different. You think, oh, these guys are cool. They're taking you to the pub. They're buying you beers. You're getting on it. It's fucking brilliant. You know, you're earning money. You're just having a. You just think you're Billy Big Bollocks, don't you? You know, Billy Big Bollocks. That's not a phrase we have over here. No, you should. It's a good phrase. Well, so was it a happy-go-lucky lifestyle? Was it just we all stick together and we have fun? Or was it like what were that? There had to be some negative, rougher sides to it. What, what did that look like? Or was it just we go out, we have fun, it stays fun, it stays safe, work happens when it happens? Like What, what was that progression like? So, I don't know. It was, it was safe. I mean, you get into trouble at night. I mean... What does trouble at night look like to a scaffolder in? Well, usually a punch up. It'll be usually a punch, a punch up. up. Yeah, most scaffolders have a good, good old punch up. I wasn't too bad. Uh, I lost quite a lot being pissed. Usually get knocked out a bit. Uh, yeah, had a few altercations. Had my jaw broken a couple. Well, once. That was an altercation in a nightclub. I can't really remember what happened. I think I was uh, dancing away and 
for some reason got into like a little scuffle with some fella so i punched him and then got thrown out of this nightclub and then outside we was having a bit more of a scuffle and then i got sideswiped and then that's the last thing i remember i think i was out cold woke up went home i was like oh god my jaw hurts and my dad's like it's all swollen up had a big golf ball on the side He's like, oh, maybe you should get like to the hospital and that. So I said, ah, oh, all right, I suppose I'd better do. My mate took me to the hospital. It was all, it was all broken up. So they got like a surgery in it to like pin it back together. And then like a couple of days later, I was eating pizza and broke it again. So that was like a typical sort of weekend, really. <laughs> <laughs> Standard. Huh? Typically, when they pin and wire your jaw shut, you're not supposed to eat salads. Yeah, they said I don't know if you're eat soup for like weeks but like soups you know when you're out on a job it's hard to get things so like the first day i'd managed to eat a baguette like a sausage baguette because you always go like to the like sandwich shop in the morning so i had a sausage baguette and i managed to eat that it was really difficult i was eating it I was like, ah chewing all on one side eating like really small bits and then that night because i went to the pub that night i was drinking away and then like ordered a pizza on the way home got home and i was eating the pizza and because you're a bit pissed aren't you you don't really notice so you're just chewing away and the next thing i had it click i was like oh no and it was like, broke it again. So the next day I had to go to hospital and they put, they put two pins in it this time because they thought I was going to break it again. What what age was that at? That was, uh, I reckon I was about 23. No, maybe less. No, less than that because I hadn't moved. I was 20, 21. I was still in Borden. Okay. Yeah. yeah so that didn't, that didn't stop you from continuing your antics is what I'm, what I'm getting nah, at. No, nah, that didn't stop me. I don't want to dwell on, on the drug thing too much, uh, but I do have some more questions. Um, <laughs> it's not every day we get to talk about ecstasy with our guests. It's, it's very true. Mushrooms, I think, is as far as we've gotten. Yeah, we haven't had a good drug talk since Anthony Kunkel. Since Anthony Kunkel. What, uh, yeah, what, uh, if you don't mind, just because here's the thing. I, I came out recently talking about my, my troubles with alcohol and that a lot of people in our sport reach out to me talking about their addictions. And I'm talking by the hundreds, right, Chris, like by the hundreds. And it seems like a lot of people are saved by sport or movement or something in which it transitions them out of it, or at least it's a good replacement somehow yeah. for, you know, what they had been doing. And so I didn't realize how many of our listeners nor in our addictive sport there are people with backgrounds like yours. I know loads. Right. And so this was a whole world to me that got opened up recently. And I was like, holy shit. Like I, I felt so alone with it. And I certainly am not right. And I, and I know that now. So what I'm asking is I just want to dive into it a little more because I think there's people out there who could relate. So like, like, what were you, what were you doing, man? Like what were like, what's a, a scaffolding kid get into? How do you mean? Anything somebody puts in front of them. So, not really. I mean, I didn't like Coke too much because that used to make my heart go too fast for like standing still. And that never felt right. So, but mm. I did like pills. I mean, there's this endurance training again. <laughs> is, that, no, is that a thing? Is it you don't have a heart rate? Go I suppose it is, isn't it? Keep your heart the rate cardiac rate. response. I'm joking. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you just do what everyone else is doing. That's what, that's what you're mainly doing. You're just trying to fit in, especially being young, aren't you? I think that's that's why anyone does anything. And I don't think it's until you get a bit older you start to realise that what you, you either sit there and you think, what the fuck am I doing? And you look at yourself differently or you just carry on doing it because you've got nothing better to do. 
I had a conversation with Hunter McIntyre who had uh, gone about when you were your age, kind of just living that life. Hunter McIntyre, who you know that is, I assume, was doing the same thing. He's like, whatever somebody put in front of me, I did. Whatever the other guys were doing, I took. It was like, I don't even know what it was sometimes. It was just mm. like, it was one of those lifestyles. He said, I wasn't an addict because I tried so many different dang things all the time. Yeah. He said it was like that sort of life. Is that sort of what you're outlining kind of? Yeah, but I always, I, there were certain things I would never do. I mean, I don't know why. I think just certain things just scared me. And I think they still do. Like, you know, like I'd never touch acid because it just freaked me out. The fact that you might just have a trip and like not know what the shit was going on. I, I never really did. That's pretty much it. I would ne- never do heroin and that just because you watch like train spotting and that doesn't look right. You know, it's just. Train spotting should be mandatory viewing. That and Requiem for a Dream. Those yeah. two should be in every high school. Yeah, that. But yeah, so I think I had limitations. I mean, some people don't. I know a lot of people, friends and things who just, they was in the same lifestyle and they just kept going with things. But, you know, who knows why they did it? They, they've, they've got deeper issues or no, that's probably not the right word. They, they, they've got things going on that makes them do that. I don't know. So was it more the social aspect or did you truly still enjoy the experience? Yeah, I think I think for me, for me, it was definitely the social aspect because pills, like, they're great at the time, but they feel horrible in the morning. So, like, why the hell would you do them again? But because you're having such a good time, yeah, you do them again. Drinking, it's definitely a social thing. Well, especially with me. I mean, I, I know you're probably a bit different, aren't you, um, with your drinking? I don't know. But... A little bit, yeah, we'll see, yeah. Yeah, so definitely with our, my the drinking that I was doing was definitely a social thing. It was to... to drink go out with people there was nothing else to do you know you just go to the pub what else are you going to do everyone's at the pub go to the pub have a beer (laughs) you described how you either say i don't care what else is there to do i'll continue and go deeper into it or realize this isn't going anywhere clearly you made the latter your decision what what at what point did you start to have feelings like ah this isn't long term what i need to be doing so i realized it was not the best thing to be doing when I was just working with people and I was working like I started working with some guys who didn't drink and didn't smoke and kind of looked after themselves and my old man obviously he looked after himself he was he was cracking on a lot older than the guys that I was working with and he looked 20 times better and the guys that I was working with who weren't drinking looked 20 times better than the guys that I was working with and drinking and they were just and you just look at them and you think I don't want to look like that I don't want to be like that I don't want to be in my 40s, but looking like I'm 65. And then it just, I don't know, it just sort of like pinged. And I was like, nah, don't want to do this more. I kept skipping work, just drinking too much, just not turning up and things. And then you just think, oh, so you just, just stop, just stop like that. Stop smoking to start with. To stop smoking, it was easier to not drink because when you have a drink, you, you smoke more. So I just stopped drinking, stopped smoking. And then after that, I just started, I went back to my dad's jiu-jitsu, started doing jiu-jitsu again. And then just from there, just got further and further and further and just got more into fitness. And the more I got fitter, the least I wanted to do things. Did you have an aha moment? I, um, I ask new athletes and new clients, I say, why now? Like, why did you reach out to me now versus a year ago or six months from now? Like, did you have an aha moment? Like, uh, duh. This is it. Was there one of those? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I'm, it, it was pretty sudden. I think it was back in 2000, 2012. and it was just literally. I just was like, I'm going to stop smoking. 
And I was like, and that was it. It was like, like a, it was like a light bulb moment of just right. I said, I'm not going to do it. And everyone was like, oh, have a smoke, have this. And I'm like, nah, I don't know why. I was, I was a bit stubborn, I suppose. People saying do stuff and you kind of go the opposite way, don't you? Was it made difficult because of your work? Did you have to start working with a different crew? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit difficult. I mean, yeah, everyone wanted to get back on the drink and things. And even your friends and things, they all sort of want to meet up down the pub. It was difficult. I mean, luckily at the time, I'd just moved into my own flat and things. So I was able to just like chill there, do that. But then it was the jujitsu. I gave myself things to do. You have to fill your time with other things. It was like when I stopped smoking. Like the, the, only, the best way I stopped smoking was eating, instead of smoking, I'd eat a bag of minstrels, which is like little chocolate things. So I just eat a bag of them. And just because you're doing something, it just makes you not do it. How did that go? Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> I ate a lot of minstrels. <laughs> how'd, you stop, how'd you stop the minstrels? I, I haven't. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a pocket full of minstrels right now. <laughs> so you went from, you quit cold turkey, which is rare. And then you went jujitsu and filled your time with that. At what yeah. point did you transition to realizing running's the thing that fills me up? So even when I was drinking, one of my pals, he signed up for a Tough Mudder and he was telling me about it. And I was like, that sounds fucking wicked. You know, they were doing like, like running's quite boring <clears throat> on its own. Excuse me a sec. <coughs> I've got like COVID symptoms over here, but no COVID. Odd. Ah, so where was I? Yeah, so he signed up for a, a Tough Mudder. Uh, I thought it was wicked. They were, he was like telling me about it. He was like, yeah, we're running through things. We're carrying shit. And I was like, that's like a cool day at work where you're just like running and doing awesome stuff. But it wasn't until like three or four years after I heard that and I'd stopped drinking and things and started training. I was like, right, I'm going to sign up for something. But because Tough Mudder didn't seem too like, they, they sort of um, sold it as, you know, anyone, you can, you, you can finish it if you just, you know, finish it. So I was like looking to see what else was in. I found Spartan Race, which was sounded a bit more competitive. And I thought, oh, fuck it, I'll do one of them. And I'll like try and race it and try and do well. And then I just started running to kind of like, finish that without hurting, I suppose. And but running, that? like you said, running is boring. People don't enjoy just running. But then as soon as it becomes a tool towards doing what you want to do, how long was it before you fell in love with running? Uh, straight away, I think. Yeah, yeah, straight away. I mean, once, because when you get, when you start running, don't you, you get all these like, things that hurt when you start running. I had really bad shin splints from like wearing shoes that were like two sizes too small. But like, even that was quite fun. I mean, running is fun, isn't it? As soon as you go out, you're like running around. And because I lived in like, where there was like loads of woods, you're just running around the woods, you're just like running up hills, just running down hills. And it's like, yeah, this is fucking all right. You've got music playing. It's like, yeah, cool. Come home, you've got like an endorphin here. Yeah, so is it endorphins? Yeah, endorphins. You've got an endorphin mm. here. So you're all like high again. You're like talking to people. Yeah. It's a good thing. You're isn't preaching it? to the choir there. I think most can understand that. It, when was this? How long ago was that? This... So that was that was when I was 25. Yeah, 25, 26. I think, yeah, probably 26, actually. Yeah. And when you say you quit quit drinking and all that, does that mean you quit cold turkey or you quit making it like a daily habit? I pretty much went cold turkey for it. I did drink, but like nothing as heavy as I did. I just thought I'd have like a beer and that was it. But yeah, okay. pretty much cold turkey. So complete 180 though. Yeah. You didn't struggle with if I have one, I have 10? If I did have one, I would have 10. 
But then you you turn to be able to just have one. Yeah, well, you just kind of take that away, don't you? I don't know. It's weird. If we went out and went on the piss, I would do. But then the li- the the more you don't drink, when you drink, you have such a bad hangover, and that kind of stops you from doing it again longer. Do you know? Hmm. Makes sense. So that's ten years ago. Yeah, ten years ago. Is it really ten years ago? You've been together with running for ten years now. Congratulations. That's a that's an anniversary card, isn't it? What's that? What is ten, ten years? Ten years. What, what do you mean? What is ten? What is? What do you mean? What is ten years? Because they do like you get cardboard and I don't know gold, leather, leather and, leather and all that crap. My missus is no, she's no straight away. You ever heard of that, Kirk? What heard of what specifically? There's the this old timey. I don't even know where it originated from, but there's a like tradition of what your each anniversary gift is. Like ma- one is made out of one is wood based, one's leather based. It's like a there's a there's like some pattern and tradition, a theme for each yeah, year. It goes all the way up to when to your old, I suppose. I think it's just so you can buy, yeah, so you can buy a gift every year. I would say because I had to, because I had to ask, the answer would be no. I don't. Know that. <laughs> oh, I didn't know if I just phrased it weird. <laughs> uh, no, nope, just don't know. Just not that. Yeah, astute. Well, I thought that that thirty five minus nineteen was was nine. True. <laughs> We're all firing today. So what was it about it, if you had to describe that that transition? Because I asked the question, like, okay, were you this, you're like the average of the five people you hang out with. Well, obviously, you had a hard time. You transitioned out of that, which had to be tough, you know? And then, like, you go and, like, dive into all this other stuff. Seems like you kind of went all in right away, right? Like, you were doing mm. these habits daily. Like, what did that what did that feel like? What was it about that that was so alluring? I know you talked about the running right now just recently, but like so alluring, alluring comparatively, because you probably completely changed your friend base, spent your time completely differently. I don't know. Like, what was it about it that was like, yeah, this is better? Like, life just gets better. I mean, as soon as I stopped doing any of that, like, you you wake up, you go to work, you earn more money, you just progress in life. Things just get better. You know, it, it was it was really odd. Like you kind of like struggling to get through things, and then as soon as you start doing the right things, it's odd. Just things just completely changed. Everything went from oh, I'm barely surviving to like oh, I'm surviving all right. Oh, I can I can do this, and then you can do more things with your life. And it's just like I'm doing like so much more now, but everything's the same. It's just I'm not doing the shit that I was doing before. And it's odd. It's you, you're just whole quality of life just gets better. And I think that's been been the path all the way through now. So, like, since I started doing that, every time I'm training and focus on training and things, life is just good. Preach, brother. <laughs> Preach. One good habit leads to another. We talked in our 2021 recap episode on Tuesday about how I had my struggles with tr- just training, just getting out the door for training. But that was the, the big takeaway for me is I completed my first nine-week training block and I got injured at the end of it or 11 weeks, whatever it was. But those nine weeks were great. I was more on top of my communication. I was more on top of being a dad. I was more on top of getting stuff done in a timely manner. And things do fall into place. Yeah, it's strange. It is really weird. You just become an organized person, but you're organized, but things aren't badly organized. Well, they are badly. Your life's not always perfect, but just things are just better. So your first entry into endurance racing was a Spartan race because mm-hmm. you thought yes. Tough Mudder wouldn't be a challenge or at least yeah. competitive. 
did you stick to Spartan and OCR or were you hitting trail races and park runs and everything from the start? So the first races I did, so I did Spartan, did a, a super. I loved that. And then I did a Spartan beast. That was good. And then literally after that, about two months, like in my hometown, they actually held an obstacle race held by a, a smaller company over here. And I did that race and that was like so much better. Uh, it was like really cool. It was like Spartan on steroids and like, I just thought, oh, yeah, the harder the obstacle course. And then I started finding all these other obstacle courses. But I thought, ah, oh, the harder the obstacle course, the better it is. So then they got another race over here called Nuts Challenge. It's like voted the UK's toughest obstacle race. And uh, I entered that for my fourth obstacle race, which is like a, a long endurance. Well, it's not long too much. It's like 27K lapped courses in the winter. It's freezing cold. It's through mud. It's like a grind. Hardly anyone finishes it. I did that, did really well at that. And I thought, fucking hell, I'm not too bad at this. And then I just thought obstacle racing is my thing. Just started training for that. And trail races come off of that because you want to, like, get better at running trails because that's where ma the majority of, like, obstacle races are. So you do trail races and then you just go from there, don't you? Hated road mm -hmm. races. I think I did one road race in my first year of running. I think, it did, yeah, just one, one half marathon on road. It's horrible. So then keep walking us through. So you start doing these things. You're doing, you're training intuitively. I didn't have a, I didn't have a fuck. I didn't have a clue what I was training for. Basically, I just, I thought, because you're working, you're getting strength. So I had like some weights at home. I'd do that, do like circuits. I'd cycle to work every now and again. I'd run in the evenings. I just thought like, the, I suppose it's what most people do. They just think like train loads, do loads and you'll fucking get better you know i don't know that works for a while yeah you get injured most of the time and end up getting sick <laughs> did it work for a while uh yeah i mean i've got some i've got a good base of fitness of it i suppose yeah yeah it definitely worked all right about it was hit and miss you'd turn up to some races and you'd feel fantastic or you'd turn up to other races and you'd just feel like dog shit there's no structure to it so how did that lead because I, I know you found that you were better the longer the races were. The multi-hour races, you did well. You're a good grinder. Your grip never fades, that kind of thing. But how did that lead to a true feat of endurance deciding, I think I'm going to try to run around the entire of Britain, like the entirety of Britain? What, where, where did that seed get planted? So I read a book once where someone cycled around Britain. And that like really inspired me. I thought, oh, that sounds pretty cool. He's like on a bike, he cycles around there. I thought, that's cool. So like prior to running around Britain, I, I put my bike together. I took a plane over to uh, Switzerland and I cycled back, like back to home. How, how long is that? Uh, what, miles? You could do kilometers. Uh, no, miles. I think it was about 800 and something miles. Just on a whim, you just decided Switzerland's what I'm going to do? Well, I wanted to go further. I wanted to go to Italy, but the flight to Geneva was cheaper than the Genoa one that I was like, originally planning on. It was like like £100 cheaper, I think. So I just thought, fuck it, I'll go to Geneva. It wasn't, well, on the back. Had you been cycling? Yeah, like cycling to work and things. I basically bought a bike just to be able to cycle when I could not run, you know. But then I read this book and I thought, oh, that sounds quality. I'll try a bit of uh, cycle touring. Put loads of, put some panniers on my bike. Bungie kind of tied a tent to it, flew over to Geneva, and then just like cycled home. So this wasn't going hotel to hotel. You were sleeping outside. Oh no, I went. I I did take a tent, but it was like France and 
where I cycled through, I had like the worst floods ever. They had like the worst floods in like 30 years or something. It was pissing it down. So I did stay in a few hotels. How long did it take you? It took me nine days. Was it nine days? Yeah, nine days. This is just on a, on a whim. Just I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I had some time off from work. So I just booked, booked the flight and was like, that's it, I'll go. So, yeah, it was cool. Were you single at the time? No, I had a girlfriend at the time. But I was only off for two weeks. So that's took true. two weeks off work and then yeah, I did that. What was your reaction to that experience? Did it speak to you? Was it just enjoyable or was it terrible and you wanted to do it? <laughs> that was horrible, really, because it was pissing it down. Uh, but I loved it. Yeah, it was great fun. It was hard to navigate. How did you navigate? I had a Garmin, uh, what do they call it? Like Because when I bought my bike, I paid for it cash. So the guy at the bike shop was like, threw some extras in and he threw in this like bicycle touring thing. And you could like program a, a, like a destination on it and then it'd take you like the route. But in France, it took, I don't know, I must have been like, it, it must have taken me like all around like all these country roads. It takes you on like non-busy roads, doesn't it? And it just, just, I didn't know where the fuck I was going. I was just following this thing all the time. Just put one destination and go there. It took ages. It was cool. Do you immediately search for something else? What do you mean? To do after finishing that? Uh, just concentrated on obstacle racing for a little bit. And then, but in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, I want to do something running, traveling. And like, I was like, oh, that'd be cool. It'd be cool just to like not have a bike, just have a backpack, do something on foot, travel like, big distance so I wanted to run I wanted to do like the Silk Road you know the one that goes like with the old trade route from China to um mm-hmm. like wherever it finishes in Eastern Europe or whatever but that was just like too much to think about it's like loads of uh, what do you call them um visas and trying to get money to it and things like that and it just seemed hard but England it's your own country you don't have to get apart you don't have to do nothing you just gotta you, you can go from your front door is it straight out and straight back what's the appeal of these these things because obviously it struck a chord with you like what's the appeal i don't know you're just out aren't you just you got no worries you just i don't know i don't know what the appeal is it just sounds cool doesn't it it's funny when i when i spoke to people on the when i was doing the run and i spoke to people you got two kinds of people you got people that you'd say it to and they'd look at you like what the fuck and then you talk to other people you say yeah this is what and then you just see in their eyes they're like yeah that's cool and then they'd want to do it as well. I think it's, I don't, there's not really any explaining to it. You just, you either want to do stuff like that or you don't. It's fair. How much <laughs> prep and planning went into this? Uh, none really, apart from kit and knowing which way I was going to go around. There was no planning at all, really. You said three, three people had done it prior? Yeah, three people had done it. I'd looked at their, the route that they'd taken or like saw the route that they'd taken. It was hard to get. The girl who did it didn't have anything sort of mapped out. The guy who did it, Wayne Russell, he had like, he had the same tracker that I had and he, I, you could follow what he did if you zoomed in on it and sort of take his route. And then I looked at like what people had used for cycle. Because there's a, there's a cycle touring group that do a route round Britain. I looked at sort of what they had and sort of like, sort of, Thought, oh, yeah, I could go that way and do that. But, it, yeah, you don't really – didn't look too much into it because you didn't know what was going to happen. What's the total distance, roughly, knowing that I don't know my exact route, but it should roughly be what? 
So it should be like 5,000 miles. That's what the other two said they did. I think I clocked out. <laughs> so you went from 800 miles on a bike to 5,000 on foot. Yeah, but I'm not very good at math, so I didn't think it was that far. That's fair. <laughs> you just think about that because right now everybody, you know, in the last week or so, we've seen everybody put up their year in reviews on Strava. And it seems like people are very, very proud of hitting a thousand miles. That seems to be a big milestone to run in 12 months when I agree it is. It is. Um, and then you're running 5,000 miles in five and a half months. It's just yeah. like pretty hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, I don't think the total distance made it up to five thousand. It was it was definitely way less. So they said five thousand. I think I think when my wife clocked it in, it was like four thousand three hundred and something. But everyone was like four thousand five. Oh, that's nothing. So, Just forty three hundred miles. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you you planned your kit, and that was about it. Yeah, that's about it. But I feel like kit is everything. Yeah, I love shopping for kit though. Yeah, well, it's important. But kit, break break it down. What you decided to carry and not carry because I think the important thing for people to realize is you did this alone Mm. you did this self-supported which is almost not unheard of but I don't think it had been done in Britain yet and generally when people make fastest circumnavigating anywhere or point to point they have people that are carrying in a in a vehicle or on bike or in towns that have their gear waiting for them you traveled every step of the way with everything on you, correct? Yeah, yeah. There's not one day I didn't take that backpack off. That was what that was. That was part of my rule. Self-supported, carrying it for four thousand three hundred miles. Yeah, every day I wore that backpack. Well, it was two backpacks because I had to replace it. But yeah, never took it off. Even when my dad came up to see me and he had a van and he'd stop at different bits, I carried everything that I had apart apart from food that day, those two days because I didn't need it. So if I didn't need food, I wouldn't carry that. But Everything else in that backpack I wore and carried, I say, all the time, 100% of the time. Anyone who's ever run in a pack knows that that's a different style of running. Yeah, it's a really weird gait. I mean, my feet kind of like dragged along the floor. So it's like more like a a fast shuffle. I fast shuffled it. (laughs) How many days did you have contact with people that were like supporting you in some way versus not? Like you said, just a couple. How do you mean like? Well, like you said, your dad was along or something. Yeah, so he came, he came up to see me. So he drove up to Scotland with his wife. They came up to see me. I mean, those, what did he come up for? Four days. I mean, those four days I ran, carried my stuff. But in the evenings, rather than sleeping in my tent, he'd put me in a hotel with them and we'd have dinner and things. So the days I was still doing it, but then the food, he was probably, is that supported, I suppose? I don't know. But gray area isn't it <laughs> your tent was in your bag yep. every day yep. everything what, what if you had to pour out your bag what was in there every day with you like along the way so every day i'd always carry my tent my cooking pot my stove my sleeping bag my sleeping mat what else did i have i wrote it down because i need this question to come up my sleeping mat um i had my change of clothes so i had another pair of shorts another t-shirt a jumper i had uh a camera i had my waterproofs i had a down jacket uh i think that's pretty much it so this wasn't a running hydration pack like a 12 liter pack this was a that's a 40 45 liter osprey i think it was a talon talon backpack it's a nice backpack actually to be fair it was good what was the loadout weighed at 
Uh, I think with food, it was like 16 kilos or something. Someone weighed it once. Yeah, it felt really heavy. It's horrible. When it, and I used to carry a two litre water bottle, like the two litre bladder pack, Mm -hmm. the water one. So whenever, whenever that was full and I'd had food, that was a killer. Yeah, the more food I carried, it was horrible. There was a place I went to in like Suffolk. I was like running in one place and like this shop said, oh, come into the shop and like you can take whatever you want to fill your bag. And I filled the bag and it like, I picked it up and I was like, fucking hell, this is so heavy. But it's like, it's free food, so you don't throw it away. So you just put it on and you're like, oh, this is so heavy. But it's like, ah, oh, I'll just eat more food. So your pack was between 30 and 40 pounds for 4,300 miles. Yeah. See, that to me sounds like back and neck problems. I psoas. I had terrible psoas. It's like the um, psoas muscles. I thought I had a hernia when I got back. Um, went to the doctors about it. I had such bad, like, I didn't realize that they did an ultra scan, didn't turn out to be a, a hernia or anything. But I had such pain because obviously you're leaning forward and like running all the time. And like over time, it just like really fucked me up. It took me like about a year and a half to go over that, doing lots of stretching and things. But yeah, so as was the worst thing. Wow. When you say running now, like I'm hearing the weight of this pack and I'm like trying to do the math, being like, could I run with that pack? Like how, like, obviously there had to be walking, right? At, at oh some, yeah, definitely. A yeah. lot of walking, right? But like, like how did that break down? Like you were able to run or shuffle for the majority with that pack or like, how did that work out? Like, what did the run to walk or hike ratio look like? I mean, like, in the mornings, I'd wake up, I'd run, I'd walk, like, for an hour just to start the day off. And then you just break out into a little shuffle and then you'd run for a bit. And then if you, like, fancied stopping, you'd just stop, have some, like, biscuits out of your pack, run a little bit more. I had a bit of a rule, though. If, um, if I was listening to music and, like, a, a song from a Rocky film came on, I'd always run. So that was always a boost. But I was, sometimes I was running quite fast. I, I hijacked like the Welsh Marathon because they were like running the same route as I was. And as soon as they, I was keeping up with guys who were running with nothing and I was running with them and they were like looking at me like this. And I was like running with them and they're like, fucking hell, you're keeping up. So I, after a few months, I was, I was running quite fast with this pack. I barely like noticed it apart from the SOAS stuff. So I, I think we should put in perspective, how many miles were you averaging per day? So I would do no less than 20, but I'd never did no more than 40. Apart from the days when I was having a couple of rest days, I did about 10, 15 miles some days. What, what was your biggest stretch of running? 40 miles. Yeah, I never did no more than 40 miles. So I did, a few, well, yeah, a few days of 40 miles. I, I did 40 miles and I did a 26. I was thinking I was doing like 230k a week or something. Was it miles? It's all, yeah. Was it 230k? Yeah, quite a bit. So it was just no less than 20. So I don't think every, any week I did less than 20 miles a day. And then other days I was just doing like 30 miles. It all, all depended on the good days. I was just, just running along. 40 miles come up, but never did no more than 40s. I think that was just a long day. I think you, you, the time scale was too much for 40 miles plus. I think the pack was too much for more than 40 miles. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the day I, when my wife came up to see me in, in uh, Blackpool, I did a good 40-mile stretch that day. I think that was my quickest 40-miler. I mean, I hadn't seen her for like three months, so you can imagine you want to see your, your wife, didn't you? And I, I came out. I think I got 40 miles in nine hours, 10 hours. 
I'd have to look it up, but it was pretty quick. Wow. Yeah. Did you, how many like zero mileage days did you have? I had eight days where I did nothing at all. Because your body just told you, like you listened intuitively like this, need, I need a break. Funny enough, I was sick three days, like really, really badly sick, like uh, throwing up, puking, uh, seeing myself a bit. It's just like really bad. And I had to take them days off. Yeah, it was horrible. Don't know what it was, but three times. Uh, once in in um, my wife's aunt and uncle's house, which was lucky. They live in Newcastle. Got ill there the first time. I thought it was like a food thing. And then didn't pay much attention to it. Just thought, oh, it was food. And then the third time, the second time, sorry, that was in Wales. I was in a tent in a campsite and I was just fucking dying. Same thing. And then the third time I was camping in like a churchyard. And that was the worst because like, I didn't have anywhere to go to the toilet apart from like this churchyard compost heap and like I just completely annihilated it and I just don't know what it was that made me sick so I'm guessing I don't know what it was it must have been overexertion or something or I don't know never really found out what it was no one no one knows two of the three times you didn't have plumbing well I had, I had plumbing on this the second time in the campsite because it was at a campsite but okay. the third time I had nothing and I ran out of toilet paper I used all my toilet paper that day on the, on on that night. Sorry, that's a long night. It was a long night. It was not nice, but yeah, they were the three worst days. And then the other days was literally when my wife came to see me. I spent a day with her. I had a bad ankle one day, and like <laughs> this guy in Ullipool, which is like a Scottish town, he let me stay at his place, and um, he had like a yacht, and he was like, "Oh, why don't you take a day off and come like sail on my yacht." Is it a yacht? Yeah, like one of them ones with the, the sails and things. So I took a day out because I couldn't say no to doing that. So that was pretty cool. And then, yeah, just like the other days taking off, I was um, just sorting kit out. Five months is too long. There's no good time stretch for that you'll hit good weather for five straight months. <laughs> so like, when did you start in the year? What, how did you plan which bad seasons you were going to hit? So initially I was going to start, well, I did, I started in February. The idea was I was going to run into the summer and then towards the end, like in the end of fall. But when I started, Britain had what we called the beast from the east, which was like this super cold spell. I think it was like the coldest winters we'd had in like years. Big blizzard coming down. There was like, what do they call those things when the snow piles up? Snow drifts. There was like big snow drifts and things like that. So when I started, it was fucking freezing. Like really cold, like bitter wind and that. But then in that summer, we had like the hottest summer, like for a few records. So I actually had pretty good dry weather. Didn't have much rain, but it was it was a contrast between super duper cold and super fucking hot. And how often did you camp versus sleep indoors? I camped quite a lot. I mean, a lot of the times it was in campsites. I'd rock up to a campsite and a lot of them let me stay for free. So you get a shower at a campsite. Obviously they got decent water and things and I can charge things sometimes. But yeah, majority of the time I camped because it was just cheaper. It was just cheaper to camp. Don't get me wrong. I stayed in some some hotels and some hostels and I used a thing called couch surfing, which is like a um it's like a website and you just send out messages and people just let you stay on their like in their house. I use that quite a bit. That was good. So if I knew I was going to be heading in the direction, I'd message people on this couch there from website. And if they responded back to me, then it was quality and then I'd just stay with them. It sounds like you didn't have a, a, an exact route or plan. Nah, 
No, I didn't. I didn't know what day. Every morning I'd look at the map and sort of think, well, I'm going to kind of go this way or kind of go this way. And then obviously sometimes it would change. And like, especially, with, um, I don't know if you have the same sort of app, but we've got a, an app over here called OS Maps. And you can basically like plot how far things will be. And it tells you like where all the campsites are or like, what do you call it? You've probably got topo maps, isn't it? Is that yeah. right? So it's probably similar to that. It lets you know what's about. Just use that. Just followed the route. Just plotted it out. Just sort of went that way. And if things changed, I'd change. Go a different way. That'd be terrible for me. They're horrible. That would drive me crazy. I would need to know every day where I'm going. But the thing is, it's it's better that way, not knowing where you're going to be. It's it's better because, I mean, you don't have to plan anything. you got your tent, so if you can't find anywhere to stay, you just camp somewhere else. And it's Britain, so you haven't got a, you're not going to worry about shops. Even in Scotland, where people said it was going to be desolate and you wouldn't find anything, there was cafes and things. So there wasn't too much to worry about, really. Just needed to head in the, the right direction. And that was it. I just envisioned myself like, okay, I'm out on the road every damn day and I must be exhausted for the most part. Like I am just smoked, right? And so one, you either need to take your damn pack off and set up a whole tent and do the whole thing when you're like after a long day of hustling or you show up on some weirdo's house and sleep on his couch, (laughs) but then you got to like, interact with somebody when the last thing you want to do is you just want to get to business, right? You want to eat and go to bed and start over tomorrow. I just like see that whole process is like wearing on a guy. You'd think that, but you don't realize how much crazy shit sort of happens. I think if if you ever speak to anyone who's done any like cycle touring or big like excursions, they all have the same stories where they just, things just happen. You just meet people and just the weirdest stuff happens. And it makes it makes a whole experience. Like you, you wouldn't believe some shit that happens. You you walk past someone's house and they ask you what you're doing. You go, ah, oh, doing this. And they're like, oh, fancy coming in for some dinner. And of course, it's dinner. So you're like, yeah, all right, have some dinner. And then that leads to having a free place to stay. You get talking to them. It's just just weird stuff happens all the time, and it's just it just makes you just feel, ah, oh, this is cool. Did you have a redeeming sense of humanity throughout this? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I met, you don't realize how much people are generously willing to help you. I had a runner, a guy who does a lot of ultramarathons in Scotland. He'd been following what I was doing and he sent me a message to stay at his flat. Right. When I got there, he wasn't even there. He left me the keys out, left me food in the fridge. Guy never met me, let me into his house. He wasn't even there. Like, who does that? I could have robbed him blind. It's crazy. You mentioned some crazy stories that, like, the craziest things could happen. What are some of the, what are some of these things, like these memorable moments out there that you couldn't have anticipated? Do you have a few that jump out? On the spot. Uh, yep. <laughs> it's just, um, well, in Scotland, one place. Uh, well, it's funny, like, it was down south. A little bit further on, I stayed at these university students' house. And then about four months later, I was coming down the West Highlands Way. And these girls who I stayed at their university house, they were doing a highland walk the opposite way. And we just like randomly bumped into each other. So like four months later, just bumping into each other. Like, that doesn't happen very often. 
and they were like aren't you the guy that stayed at our place four months ago who's running around the cove i'm like oh yeah that was me and they're like fancy meeting you here and it's just like yeah fancy meeting you here was that common you staying with groups of girls your wife had no problem with that i wish it was but no <laughs> okay i was no stud but now um yeah and then you just what else was a good story like meeting any weirdos oh loads oh i'll tell you this one guy i met he was doing it he was he was cycling around britain the, the, the opposite way right and this guy was like crazy he had a tattoo on his forehead that said tattoo right <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> and he was just off his head he was a bit he was a bit the same he read the, he read the same book he had like a bike and he was just like i'm just cycling around the opposite way and we i kept catching him up no was he sorry he was cycling around the same way and just kept catch, catching him up all the time and things and having a chat and he used to just steal all his food so he'd go into like the supermarket or um store or whatever you call it over there and he'd just be like robbing food just to like survive. And he was the one who told me about staying in like churchyards because they're like really good places to camp. Yeah, he was crazy. He was off his nut. We should have that guy on. You should. <laughs> I've got his number. He still messages me. <laughs> he has a tattoo of the word tattoo on his tattoo forehead. Tattoo on his forehead. He goes, oh, I've got a tattoo. And he took off his hat and just said tattoo. No, a had, had to lose a bet, I would imagine. Yeah, probably. Any, any uh, sketchy situations? Attacked by cows. That was pretty sketchy. Attacked by cows. Yeah, Scottish cows. They were they were evil. I mean, it's probably not like getting attacked by bears or anything. It was a pretty shaky moment. Cows are big. Cows are big, and when they're in a, a herd, they're quite scary. And these ones, like they proper, you know, when they like do their foot thing, they go along the floor like that, like scrape it along the floor. They did that and then like ran towards me. And usually I like shout at them, but these cows did not stop. So I had to jump this barbed wire fence, jumped over it, and I was like, fucking hell, these guys are going at me. And they were like just beating at me, like looking at me, whole herd of them. That's pretty scary. I got charged by a bull in, uh, in Ireland. How much to pay him? <laughs> is that a, is that a, a British joke there yeah, for me? It. Yeah, sorry. Couldn't resist. <laughs> that's quick. You ever get bored out there? Like I think, I think of like, Five months of the same thing. You weren't ever just like, you know what? Like, nope. Never crossed your mind. This was just bliss the whole way. Because right now what I'm hearing, Bracken, I don't know if you're hearing the same thing. Sounds like butterflies and rainbows other than a couple of cows and a weirdo once in a while. Like, was it really <laughs> yeah. like that for you? He went walkabout. Had a great time. Had a, yeah. Is that for real? That's how it was? I mean, I, I had low moments. I always have low moments. But mainly it was only because of, like, navigation problems or just like really silly things just like things not working out getting lost having to keep looking at your phone and things like that they were low points but when it, it the whole days weren't really that bad even when it was raining it's not that bad is it it's better than being at work I and mean, that's what i think i told myself all the time like, better than being at work how did your gear hold up how did you oh. keep your cell phone charged what worked what didn't work so the phone i kept charged with a battery pack and then every time you stop, you plug it in or you st you just keep it, keep it, keep that topped up. And then that tops everything else up. I mean, I only had my watch and my phone to charge, really. I had a camera, so I didn't really have a lot of electricals. Keep it simple. Um, the gear held up pretty good. My sleeping bag, sleeping mat was all perfect. It wasn't the lightest and it wasn't, you know, the most expensive stuff, but it did the job. Um, my shoes, I went through five pairs of trainers. What? They, they, yeah, five pairs of trainers. You had a th almost a thousand miles per shoe. 
Is that how it works out? Yeah, one, one of them was a pair of boots because I had a bit of a bad ankle, so I wore boots through one section of it. But yeah, five shoes for forty three hundred miles. Yeah, I'll send you a picture like of some of them. They were like ruined, like the plastic <laughs> was coming out the back. The, the all of the grip had gone. Yeah, they were like really mullered. And you didn't have knee or hip or any issues. No, I had one blister. <laughs> one blister. I had one blister yesterday. <laughs> yeah, one. Did blister. you just get lucky, or was this like a calculate like? I can't imagine staying healthy for all that mileage. So, like, what was what was it that helped I you think, do that? I don't know. I think you, you know, being a scaffolder since I was sixteen has definitely helped. You know, I've worn boots since leaving school. I'm walking around all day. You know, I suppose I'm just used to being on my feet for long periods of time and carrying stuff. And it's definitely it's definitely helped. Um, I don't know how I managed it. I mean, I wasn't overdoing it every day it's like taking it's like having it's like an eating contest isn't it so you're like you're not piling all the food in you're just having small bite-sized chunks so you're not overdoing every day you're just keeping it simple that's how you got to do it i suppose is just maintain your body not overexert itself and i think that just helped i had quite a good routine of starting at the same time finishing at the same time and most of the mileage would change just because on the terrain and yeah i think it just just paid off in the end, just keeping it easy. I would say like averaging 20 miles a day with a 35 pound pack on is not bite-sized chunks, but maybe my, our visions are different. But you get used to it. Like a few months into it. I mean, you, you don't know. It felt weird taking the backpack off. I mean, when I went, I was, I was in Scotland at one point and I was just like in on this running track, that um, running this, uh, not running track, um, this walking path. And there were some bits that I wanted to look at. So I took the pack off to like climb on these rocks and things. And I felt odd not having a pack on and climbing around. So like you definitely adapt to just having that odd weight on kind of becomes part of you. What watch did you use? This one, the Garmin Phoenix 5X bulletproof. And what did you use? Socks, shorts, top, undergarments? Socks. I just used what I would call like an American pie tube sock is it tube sock <laughs> you know you've been, you wore cotton socks for yeah. five months 4300 miles and you got one blister yeah you don't need to spend loads of money on socks it it's the uk all it does is rain how did you not get blisters and cotton socks it did to be fair it did not rain that much when i went it was the driest driest yeah it did rain but like not that much i suppose it did but yeah i just got good feet you must, if you're blowing through your shoes with 900 miles per shoe and you're wearing tube socks made out of cotton and you don't blister, you have good feet. To be fair, I, st- I, still, wear, I still wear cotton socks when I run quite often. I like them a lot. And they're cheap. I feel like you could Vaseline my entire foot, wrap it in saran wrap, then put a sock on, then put my shoe on, and I would still blister somehow. That's like a biomechanical gift i think it comes back to like buying like putting shoes on that are just comfortable as well but still right bracken like how sweat wet socks all the above that's incredible what shoes did you wear so basically i just bought cheap shoes there's um a sports (laughs) shop (laughs) (laughs) of course they were asics asics trail something or other but there's like a sports shop in england called sports direct and they just sell like retail stock shoes or whatever i don't know how they do it but they'd sell them cheap 
And because they were cheap and I was paying for them myself, there was only like 40 quid. So I just buy them. And then I could always find that shop. So once I found that shoe and it just worked quite cool, just bought them. So you just wore them until they broke. Yeah. And then you had to find a shop for another shoe. Yeah. Was that easy? Um, yeah, it wasn't too bad because eventually I'd hit a town or a city and then I'd just change them up there. Apart from when I went in, when I was in, up in Scotland and I had to run from the Isle of Skye to Fort William because there weren't a lot of shops. It's like a 40 mile stretch along a road all the way to Fort William. And then they had like a mecca of, because they got a big like walking trail that starts off there. So there's all like hiking shops and things. And I went in every single hiking shop trying shoes on, but then went back to Sports Direct and bought these cheap shoes because they were just the comfiest. What was the biggest diversion you had to take to get, whether it's a shoe or supplies, how far did you have to go off route? That was probably the biggest off, because I weren't really meant to be going that way. Um, I'm glad I did, but I was meant to be going along the coastline of Scotland on the West Coast that bit. But then I came inland, which was that 40 mile bit, and then took a different path back down, which was called the West Highlands Way. So luckily... You had an 80 mile diversion? Well, I suppose it was more than that, because if you mean the, the West Highlands Way is like a hundred and something, a hundred mile walking trek. So it sort of went 40 miles in and then a hundred miles, but it was all the right direction. All roads okay. lead to Rome, didn't they? So, <laughs> and that wasn't like a frustrated moment. That had to be like quite the like. Are you well, kidding no, me? Really. Eight, you didn't care. Eighty no, extra miles. You're still going the right way. It's not Are you? extra miles. Yeah, it's not extra miles. You're not going backwards. Okay. You're just going that way, aren't you? You know, going. You're still following the way down or forward. You just Reckon, not going is backwards. This guy, is this guy's glass always half full? I'm sensing a trend here. I'll just get these and just do that. And I don't need a plan and I don't, I'll do whatever. And I'll, you must have to have one end or the other to accomplish something crazy like this. You must have to be super anal about the whole thing or just super able to roll with every single punch and smile with it. You just got to smile. So you had, you had one change of clothes. You wore the same. Yeah. So I had uh, a running t-shirt. And then I had, some shorts I bought, two pairs of boxer shorts. So yeah, two pairs of boxer shorts. So I had one clean pair, one dirty pair, and then a spare set of clothes, a change of clothes, which was like another pair of running shorts, which had like an inner mesh, um, a t-shirt, like a merino sort of fin jumper and a down jacket. I think that was it. On oh, and a hat. And a red hat. How often did you do laundry throughout this? Uh, so uh, every time I had a shower, I'd like, wash everything in there like you'd like crushing grapes i'd wash it like that so i'd like put soap on it and crush it so i'm and like if i saw a river in there and i hadn't washed my pants i'd chuck that in the river and just give it a quick rinse out and things my missus my sorry i won't call her my missus my wife she thinks i was disgusting she wouldn't touch me if she saw me when i was doing that run yeah she yeah she thought i stunk and she was probably right yeah she was right i did stink (laughs) but yeah you just gotta you gotta wash things when you can socks because i had a pair that I was wearing and then a pair that I dry. If you like run past anywhere, I mean, water's not hard to get in England anywhere, right? So you just rinse them out and I dry them on the back of the backpack. So you always had something drying. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any pants and socks that needed to be dry? You and you did this in boxers, not even compression shorts. Nah, just boxer shorts. You're not going fast enough to need anything super duper, are you? You know, well, at least I don't think so. 
I could not do 30 miles a day in boxer shorts. It's just not happening. Is it, I, I probably wouldn't do if, if you go, I don't know. Yeah, they seem to work. I wear them all day at work. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying I could not have done what you did. Not not even close. There's not there's there's not a lot down there to fill them up, so it probably helps. <laughs> I suppose there's that. This is coming from a guy who wore a thirty dollar pair of socks on his run yesterday and two hundred dollar pair of shoes, and he blistered. So <laughs> maybe we're we're off base, Bracken, with everything. We don't know anything. We're lost in the weeds, Kirk. We really we really are. I want to know if you um, what you learned about yourself out there. It had to be some uh, some either demon squashed or I don't know some sort of reflection, right? What'd you learn? What'd you learn out there? Anything? Yeah, I think you learn a lot about yourself. I think you learn that you're. I think it, it truly shows the sort of person you are. I think if you're going to do something like that, it reflects how you are as a person. I think it did reflect that I am just a chilled out, happy guy. I'm never, never really that upset. And even at work nowadays, when people are having shitty days, I'm like, what are you getting in a fuss about? Nothing's that bad. You know, and I think you, that, that you take that away, don't you? See, nothing's really that bad, is it? Really? We've got a roof over our heads. We've got food in our belly. And we're doing all right. I would say that's my takeaway from most of our conversations we have. Whether it's a, a race, if you don't do as well as you wanted, or a, a workout that didn't quite go to script, or a little injury bug that pops up. It's you, you always have a way of explaining it away without discounting the experience. It's not like, Oh, it didn't matter to me anyways. It's like, Oh, it's not that bad. This went well. And and I'm sure for next time I'll have this. You, you, you are the, like the calmest optimist. I know. Oh, cool. <laughs> At least there's something. <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty big thing. What was your lowest point? The lowest point. Oh, or some of your lowest points? Missing people. When you went to hug your wife and she was like, nope, you stink. Yeah. That would have been a low she point. She did. That was a low point. Little did she know that that was going to be a special weekend. But yeah, missing people was the worst, the worst thing. I did miss people, especially my wife. Not seeing her for three months. That really, that really did take its toll. How, how did that all come about? was she supportive of this from the beginning or is it just like, Hey, I'm going to take five to 10 months. I'm not sure how long and I'll see you when I see you. So it's funny because we weren't actually together that long before I did this. I mean, we've only been together five years, I think five, six years maybe. And I left within the first year of us dating to do this. And she waited. Yeah, she waited. Yeah, well, I actually proposed to her on the road, on the run. So when I was on the run, I, I, I don't know. What, what did the lady, your last interview guest, she said you do all your major thinking and you just have, or I think it might be new back and you just have crazy moments when you're on your run. Yeah, all your big decisions yeah. happen there. Mm-hmm. And we was talking loads, me and my wife. And I just, I guess I always knew straight away that I, I'd want to be with her. And when I was on the run, the support that she gave me and the backing, I knew that she was, you know, the person that I wanted to be with. And then, yeah, proposed to her on the run. Did you have a ring with you? So I got the ring. I got her to bring the ring up. She didn't know she was bringing the ring up. I got her to go to my dad's, pick up a box of stuff that like a running shop had sent to get like to me. And she, my dad put the ring in this box. 
And she was fuming that she had to drive to my dad's to pick up this box when she was like, you could have just got the box sent to me. Why don't you get it sent to me? I've got to drive to your dad's now, pick up this box. And I was like, just pick up the damn box. Like she didn't know I had the ring in it. And so she came up, come to see me. I had to go through this box, get it out. And then I hit it. And then we went out for dinner. I didn't propose to her at dinner. We were sort of came back from dinner to like the hotel that we were staying in. I didn't propose to her. And I thought, oh, I've got this ring in my pocket and I don't know what to do with it. So like, I had it in my hand. And I just like put it in her hand and she was like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, oh, I don't talk much when I'm really, really nervous. And she was just like, what is this? She opened it up and it's like a ring and she's like, oh, what's this? And I'm like, oh, we married. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a romantic, Chris. And then she, she looked at the ring to make sure that like, it approved her standards of what a ring should look like. And then she was like, yes, I will. So She inspected the, the, the ring before she made her decision? Yeah. She's I got like good. That. She, she's she's very particular in my life. That's why she knows how to use your computer, I guess. Yes, she's the brains. She is the brains. So then you guys like. So then you took an extra day after that to hang out with your now fiance, and then you got right back to work. Is what it sounds. No, like. so the next day I I carried on running, and then she <laughs> bunny hopped to like another hotel in another town. So I ran to the next town. She drove there. She chilled out, did some shopping, what ladies do, and all that, and then. We saw each other then, did that. So we had like a little mini holiday, but I just carried on running within those days. Did like 20, 25 miles. Kept getting a bit, a bit lower the mileage, but not always more than 20 miles. And how long was she then along the route for? She was with me for, so I stayed there, one, two, three, four, four, four nights. Yeah. And we got really drunk on the last night. It was horrible. <laughs> I had to get up in the morning. And how long into the trip? Uh, that was, so that was in June, June 21st. So I left in February, uh, February, March, April, May, June, four months. So you got engaged and then had another month until you got home. Yeah. Was that, was that harder or easier knowing I'm almost done compared to what I've done? Uh, it kept getting easier to be fair. Well, I said easier. It kept getting better because the closer you get to home, the more money you can spend and that part of the, the coast, that part of England was really good as well. That was like one of the better bits after I saw her. So, yeah, just, yeah. Okay. Now, did, now did people catch wind of what you were, you were doing at any point? Or were you just some weirdo to everybody? Like, just who's this guy jogging with his backpack on? Like, most people don't understand, right? That just drive by you or walk by you. That nah, was weird. When, in Scotland, people were stopping in their cars, getting out and taking photos of me. They were like, just pulling up being like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm doing this, tell them what I'm doing. And they're like, oh, let me take a selfie. So they'd jump out and take selfies with you. But like running groups, they knew about me, but some places did. I reached out to a few places on the um, social media side of things. Um, so people did know what I was doing. And some people joined me for like the runs. That's what I was wondering. You, you did have some company once in a while. For oh, yeah. I met this guy in... Um, down in Cornwall with Joe and uh, we just randomly bumped into each other but he stayed with me for over a week I'm pretty sure it was like eight days he started to love he, he just he just chipped, he, he, we had a really good friendship actually we just like bounced off each other he was a good dude and we he just stayed with me and it was awesome how big was your tent yeah it wasn't big enough for him he was off his head as well right he didn't have nothing he was doing the um the southwest coast path and all he had was a blanket that he obviously stole off his mum's couch, right? Had a pot, 
and a bag, and he was doing it in some sandals. It was fucking legend. <laughs> yeah. Did you bump into a lot of these people out? Yeah, all the time. All the time. So at any given time, there's a handful of people? There's a lot, there's a lot of people doing weird stuff. Yeah, I'll tell you what, there's probably people out there now. There, There's definitely people out there now doing crazy things. And it's weird because when you're doing crazy things, you kind of like, you must just like, like generate towards each other. Mm. Dodd. There's a look you could tell when you're coming down the trail. Oh, yeah, you know know when people are like doing stuff like that. You can tell straight away. And you just gravitate together and start talking. You just walk up to you like, all right. What are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm doing this. You're like, oh, I'm doing this too. And you're like, cool. It is. <laughs> what would be your cue? Like, oh, that guy looks rough. He must be He must be having a go at something. You do have that look. You know, people, <laughs> have, people have that look. Uh, just that emaciated, <laughs> running on fumes look. Yeah. And then you can smell them. Just have a whiff. <laughs> so how did your look change beginning to end? How did your body change? How did your... I lost a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah. I lost I lost a stone and a half of weight. We don't know what that is. Yeah, I was trying to so I was seventy five kilos and I went down to sixty something. Was that pound what do you you do pounds, didn't you? Is that the same? Probably thing? around twenty pounds. Depending on what sixty. Eleven and a half stone down to ten stone. That's meaningless to me. I don't know what a stone is. <laughs> I know it's a unit of measure and that's it. I'm so crap are we gonna do what are you working? Pounds or kilos? Kilos. I just right. don't know stone. I'm trying to look it up too. So you lost about eighteen. You lost about fifteen pounds. Yeah, I'm. I'm trusting that you've got them the right commodity. <laughs> oh wait, no, I'm sorry. That's one stone equals six kilograms. One stone equals fourteen pounds, and you lost a stone and a half. So then you're looking at like twenty pounds, twenty-one pounds. One stone equals fourteen pounds, Brack. And now when we talk to these folks overseas, we can be there. We go in on it. Yeah. So was it you couldn't get enough calories in you? I was definitely not getting enough calories. Yeah, definitely not getting enough calories. Yeah, I was eating boiling the bag rice and tinned chili most nights. That's not enough. 100% not enough. And what about during the day? So during the day, it would be whatever I can get my hands on. The days when I did good mileage was usually days when I, there was a lot of food en route. Mm. You know, I'd be eating pizzas and Cornish pasties and chocolate biscuits bought uh would you, you get them over there they're called bourbons they're like these little chocolate biscuits with a little chocolate bit in the middle and they sell them really cheap over here they're like 30p for like a big bag like that and they fit it in my pockets really well and just munch on them so you just you 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 ate what you saw if you saw yeah. a cafe or a shop you stopped yeah yeah providing i was looking because i had like a certain budget i only took five grand with me to do this and obviously, I had to like try not to spend all that. So towards the start of it, I had to kind of like, I was quite frivolous with things, buying cheap stuff. But then towards the end, I was like, I've got more money to spend. So I could buy more. Mm. Roughly a thousand a month it cost you to live on the road. No, I did have money to come back. And I, bought, I put some of that money towards my wife's wedding ring as well. So Oh, okay. So what do you think it cost you total? Gear, food, lodging, everything? Ooh, with gear and lodging... I don't know. Yeah, go with go with five grand. Maybe yeah. What is that? What is that in USD? What's the conversion? It'd be a bit more. So not a lot more. Five fifty. Five five five. Yeah, it won't be a lot more. Yeah, about one point three five US dollars. So yeah, a little over six grand. Six and a half. 
uh, terrible. Yeah. The guy that I spoke to did it prior to me. He said he lived off, lived off a pound a day. And that is crocker shit. There's no way. There's no way. So a dollar thirty-five a day. Yeah, my tin of um, chili. Like, if you get a cheap one, that's about thirty-five pence. But it could go from thirty-five p to a pound. You don't want the thirty-five p one. It's like dog food. So you want like the pound one. But that's just that. And then it's the the lunch time during the day food that you just end up buying. If you go past a, a Greg's, which is like a a pasty shop around here, and they sell like pizzas and and um, Cornish pasties and pastry goods. You stop there and you you, you spend like five or six pounds. You just got to eat. Mm. Like I said, I lost that much weight. My wife was like, you look so skinny, you need to eat more. And you're just trying to pile calories in. So I would have thought water would be the hardest part, but it was food. What was easy to get? What was easy to get? I mean, you go past someone's house, they've got an outside tap, you just fill up that. Churchyards have taps, you just fill that up. Yeah, water wasn't a problem. I mean, in the like, you go in the countryside, you've got cattle... Where cattle drink out of, it's usually hooked up to a mains, and you can get water out of that. Water's not a problem. So you did a lot of trespassing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people are okay with that, or you just... Yeah, no one cares. People don't care you trespass. Not when you tell them what you're doing. They're usually all right. Yeah, that's nice. They don't shoot you over here. <laughs> there was a documentary. Who was it? Ah, oh, I should know this. Someone went and did the... Um, I think they just ran from Florida to California. Coast to coast. So you have, um, did he have a little pack pack? Was he done with like Solomon or something? I think so. Yeah, I think I watched that. I can't remember who it is. And that's going to drive me nuts. But he, there's, there's, he tried to capture as much as he could. And he stopped at someone's yard or their house. They were outside and he was out of water. And he said, hey, man, how you doing? And the guy said, what are you doing? He said, I'm running across. He said, how's it going? He said, I'm just really thirsty. I'm out of water. And the guy kind of looks down at his his uh, his faucet on the outside of his house, and he goes, "All right then," and heads back in his house. <laughs> he looks down so dejected, you could tell. Like I just needed this person to offer me, and that guy refused to offer That's water. Bad, isn't it? You cannot deny people were. But you didn't have a lot of that. Nah. Did you have any negative human encounters? Um, yeah, yeah. One person, I was trying to camp camp in this bloody campsite, and he was like really rude to me. He was like, well, I was trying to get a bit of money off. You're trying to always get a bit of money off. And he was like, oh, I'm not giving you no money off. What you're doing is not very good. And I was like, well, that's a bit out of order, isn't it? You know, kind of just ran around the coast of Britain, at least put some money off the thing. It's only campsite, isn't it? But he was pretty rude. But other than that, everyone's pretty cool. I mean, I stayed in a, a church once and the guy came out, like the, the, the um, the guy who must like look after the church grounds. He came out and he came over to the tent and he was like, what are you doing here? What are you doing? All this. And I was like, oh, sorry. Like, I'm just camping here. Because apparently it's legal to camp in, camp in churchyards over here. And he was just like, what are you doing? So I told him what I was doing. And he was like, oh. And then as soon as you tell him what you're doing, he kind of like instantly warms to you. And then in the morning after that, he just made me breakfast. So like, it's all, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way I come across and just talk to people that they just kind of warm to me i suppose a bit it's probably your face yeah what, such a what trustworthy my, face my, yeah people always ask me for directions it's odd they always like stop in their car and like do you know where so and so is and i'm like no <laughs> so you do this whole thing right we're out there for like five and a half months what was the exact time what was the exact time uh it is it was five months three weeks five days and ten hours okay it would have been quicker so- but a lot of people wanted to like 
finish with me. And like the time I was going to finish, no one was going to be around. So like I had to like slow down and I went to the cinema and watched the film and I probably could have like shaved a few days off that. I was like walking some at the end of it. They're like, you need to slow down. No one's going to be there. And I was like, I'll just go home. And then we could like pretend to do it afterwards. And they're like, no, we can't do that. Like, All right. <laughs> That's a weird problem to have. Yeah, this is a weird. How many people joined you to finish? Uh, quite a few. So my, I was part of two running clubs. Most of the people would come from that. They, they, we, we ran 10K all towards the end from like a football ground over here to like where I started from. So there must have been about 20, 30 people maybe. Maybe a bit less than that. Probably about 20 people running with me. Bit of a, like a Forrest Gump moment. Yeah, that's awesome. I wanna, yeah, cool. So what, what I want to get to asking is after you do this for five, almost six months straight, I don't know how I would transition out of that. Meaning like there's this odd satisfaction working towards this really big goal. It's sole focus of every day of your life for nearly six months. And then just like that, it's gone. Yeah. Like what was the transition back into the real life like? It was horrible. I had three days where I had to like buy a car to get to work. And then after the third day, I went back to work and then just kind of like got back into the routine of life again. Training helped. I mean, I, I started training again for races because I think we had a OCR World Championship that I booked up about a month before I finished the race because I knew I was going to make it back in time. So I kind of kind of did that. But then, yeah, I kind of just went back to normal, like I say normal life, went back to, I thought I was, I thought it was going to like change my life forever, but I kind of didn't, <laughs> it kind of like got back and then it, it just, everything was the same really, it's odd. Well, that had to be kind of a letdown, right? Like, I don't know, I feel like coming down from that and like going to work and being like, I'm back at work again. And these people have no idea what I just went through and what I experienced. And now I'm here again, doing the same thing I've done for years. Like, I don't know. I feel like that would be really tough on my mental state. Yeah, it's pretty shit. I mean, yeah, but you just, like, I suppose it's like when I gave up drinking, you just fill your time with other things, didn't you? What did you think was going to be different? You said life-changing. What were you hoping for? I don't know. I thought maybe I'd have a career and change career and maybe do something that I could do on, like, running or something. I don't know. I thought maybe I could tell people how to like well, not tell people help people with like running long distances and things like that but um it just didn't happen i suppose i probably i probably i probably never pursued it i probably just just went back to life and life ain't that bad you know it, the life i had before wasn't that bad and i like my life so is that dream dead or is that uh i still will pursue this it's probably dead i mean It'll be a nice side hobby, maybe in the future when I get a bit older. I mean, I'm, I haven't got a lot of knowledge on shit like that. So I'm probably, I mean, the, the stuff I did, I've got knowledge on, but that's probably about as far as it goes, you know, so I wouldn't really be doing anyone justice by doing that. And I'm, I'm probably not the best person to ask at the end of the day because they probably want advice on things and I'm just like, oh, just do whatever you want to do. So <laughs> probably don't Cotton socks, boxer briefs. Yeah. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So, yeah, it's a bit of a pipe. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a pipe dream. So it wasn't that hard of a transition so, for you, is what I'm hearing. I mean, it sucked a few days where you lost some purpose, but then you refound it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So 
yeah, just get back to normal. I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I still look at things now and I look at the website and I, I look at my YouTube videos sometimes and I remember it and I think, yeah, it was cool. And I'd love to do something else like that. Love to do. If someone, if someone gave me the opportunity to do something similar tomorrow, it would be hard for me to say no. I'd jump at it like a hat, I think. It's just, yeah, you would. Is there anything rattling around grain right now? That I'd like to do. I'd like to do the world or across America. That'd be cool. The world, did I hear? Yeah, the world would be cool, but that's that's a lot of planning, and I think you need your shit together to do that. But America would be cool. What's the... Um, they do that like Trans-America thing, don't they? That's what it was. Ricky Gates, Trans-Americana. It was Miami to LA. That was the documentary. That's worth watching. It's on YouTube. I think I have seen it. Bracken, you'd know this better than I would. What's the gold standard for going across the U.S.? It, I mean, is it could it could you make it the tip of Maine down to the bottom corner of California, or is it like something different? The Transamericana that that's the Miami to to LA is one. the The Cannonball Run, the the vehicle travel route where they try to set the fastest time is New York to LA. Those are the the two big ones. Okay, I'm looking this up. But and then the the Appalachian Trail is the third, I'll followed by Pacific. That. Crest Trail. I'd love to do that. You'd be made for the Appalachian Trail. I've looked it up so many times. Be awesome. We're looking at 2,800 miles for the uh, for the width of the U.S. So chump change for you. Yeah, cool, wouldn't it? I mean, you might as well take it farther. You might as well go Miami up to uh, Anchorage, go all the way up through through Oregon, up to Canada, and then up to Alaska. That'd be wild, wouldn't it? I wonder if there's an existing FKT for that. There's a route, isn't there, from from like Alaska to somewhere in there? Like a- sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, but there's two standards. I'm looking this up for people who care. We have the shortest route in the U.S. The shortest route is 2,671 miles. And the longest route is 3,527. The longest does go from Maine to Central California. And the shortest goes from, uh, looks like, Brunswick, Georgia, over basically to San Diego. So those are like the standard options is what I'm seeing. Which is cheating. Georgia's cheating. And that's the shortest route is what they say. That's the shortest. Longest would be Maine to, looks like, Central California. So there's routes established for you already. Maine to California it is. Okay. There you go. Put me a ticket. I have, I have a dream to bike from the length of the Mississippi River. But I'd consider running it as well. How have we never discussed this? I don't know. I'd I'd absolutely like to kayak it. That'd be sweet. A lot of lot of dams and locks. Running, yeah, that that's true. That, that there needs to be some navigational navigating the water skills as well because it's not a smooth, steady river. There's a lot of things that go on under the surface that can mess with a kayak. But then we have the. Uh, we were just talking about this, weren't we, Chris? In my in our state, we have the Ice Age Trail. I think it's, what is it, 1,100, 1,300 miles, point to point? Yeah, I did some more research on that. That, look, that does look cool. My aunt and uncle are walking the entire thing in chunks. Their goal is to finish the entire thing, but like they'll drive out and do a four-hour section and come back home. And but He got in my ear, my uncle Greg, that I need to try to set the FKT end to end. How far is it? Something like 1,100 miles or something like that. Wow. 
you got to do 50, 55 miles a day for 20 days. Nothing. Supported or unsupported? Supported. That's fully supported. Okay. So it'd be the exact opposite of yours, Chris, where I would plan out every second of every day. I would have things waiting. I would carry the bare minimum everywhere. I've always wondered if doing something like that makes things difficult because I suppose it is difficult because you're trying to set a time, aren't you? But everything's got to be done. But over that length of time, do you think it might just change your whole mind every because everything's got to be you you want everything to be perfect all the time but nothing's going to be perfect i don't know just it's got to mess with your mind in a completely different way because it's over a long time it has to be the exact opposite experience mm. where it's only worth it once you're done and you don't enjoy a lot along the way yeah. because there's pressure and stress and time and like you said everything's setting you back whereas yours every day was worth it in and of itself and yeah. ending was a bit of a a letdown or this would be all about ending and not quitting and not getting hurt where yours is about. I'd like this to go on. Yeah. would be cool though. Wouldn't it? There's something to be said for not racing it, for not going for time because you got to experience the people, the land, the culture, all those little subtle interactions, which you wouldn't get at all if you were trying to set a speed record. Yeah. It'd be dark. You have to go to dark, dark places. Yeah. 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 You'd never meet that tattoo guy. You'd just be like, Cool tattoo. And that's it. So uh, as we work on wrapping this thing up here, sir, um, I don't know what you're up to today. And Bracken, I know you're probably in the know. Like, what do you fast forward? That was 2018, I believe you did this. 2018, I think it is. So so let's just just hit the forward button. What what are you doing today? Well, what training-wise or life-wise? You you tell me. Both. Um, Both. Just living the grind, working, but focusing on on my training. I mean, I said we we bought a house this year, so me and the wife are just putting our roots down, moving forward with life, looking after our cats. It's interesting. He has this huge obstacle proficiency with his grip strength and his technical ability, and he's got this huge engine to be able to go for clearly as long as he wants to go. But I'm slow as fuck. <laughs> but you're stubborn. <laughs> And he has this ability to respond to movement with more movement. We were just talking about this again recently, but he gets better the longer things go, both races and training cycles and like his 5,000 mile thing. Like he he just gets stronger. And, and so he's working on his missing chunk right now, which is speed and speed endurance. Yeah. It's annoying. I mean, I think after I've had a real good pop at doing a good race in the sort of like 10 mile obstacle race. I think I'm going to change my focus and really hit. I really want to do a 24 hour OCR and I think I'd hit something good. And I think once I've had a good, good block on getting this 10 mile, good time out there, one good go at that, then I think I'm going to focus all my efforts in on 24 hour, but there's just nothing. There's, there's not that much going for 24 hour at the moment. Hopefully it will like improve and they'll have some sort of bigger, in like bigger ultra OCR event. And that'd be wild. Yeah. He and I are dealing with the same problem from the opposite ends of the spectrum. I want to do four minutes or less. There's no market for that. You know, 10 mm-hmm. minutes or less. There's no market for that. He wants to do days, hours. There's no market for that right now. There's just few opportunities to do it that it hasn't made sense for him to dedicate the time to it. But I think it's getting that way. Mm. We now have 
two 24-hour legitimate championships each year and more events are popping up. Grit Fitness down in Texas is holding right about now or next couple of weeks. They're doing a 24-hour obstacle event. It's happening more and more. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Fingers crossed it picks up. The only... Uh... They just the whole of OCR just needs a bit more media. It's pretty good over where you are, and it's not too bad in Europe. Over here, it's pretty pants media wise, but it's getting there. It's pretty think, pants. Pretty yeah, pretty shit. Okay, it's another term I didn't know. Pretty pants. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I knew that one already. You knew that from working with Natasha. Yeah, she got Natasha. Yeah, she uses more pants than once in a while. Yeah, apparently it's a good terminology. So the, the the good thing though I think about like you know obviously you have the uh, the endurance and the stay power so that uh, working on that ten mile and under is only going to help your long your long racing which is hard to see in the moment but it's true isn't it Bracken like this will this will bleed into faster pacing over duration so it's the right move I'm excited to see him get into his venue because he's doing kind of how we feel we're doing where we're racing other people's strengths right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for other people to see him on his turf. Yeah. I mean, all the long ones, I seem to do pretty good. So all the people, you know, after listening to how badass you are that, that live over the big pond, shaking in their boots, where are you going to be this year? What races do you have on your plan, on your agenda? So I'll be, if I'm, well, I will be coming over to the States for OCR Worlds. Um, and then most of my other races are going to be in Europe. So hopefully the Europeans, uh, they know I'm going to come over for their Strong Viking series, the OCR series. Uh, and they're pretty much it. That's the goals for this year. Focusing on them. But yeah, definitely see me at OCR Worlds. Right on. So that's a series. Strong Viking is like uh, you follow the the race schedule and accrue yeah. points and have a, have a result. Okay. I tried their first, I haven't, cause obviously it's in Europe. So I have to go across the water there to get to their races, but tried one of their races towards the end of last year. And their, their races are like Spartan with really, uh, what do you call it? A Spartan with savage race mix. So they're really cool. So you've got the good technical obstacles plus good running. They're really well organized. Yeah, good, good races and, yeah, good competition. Those European guys are amazing. Strong fiddles out there. And hopefully I'll be going over there with the boys that I hang around with over here. So, my OCR buddies, Darren Martin, Mark Dixon and Jason Wright, they're all coming over. We're going to go represent. They're pretty, they're pretty decent as well. So, we'll have a laugh, get on some, get on, get on a bit of the beer, have a good time. See what's happening. They've had a lot of their races canceled and moved and their championships and all that. Oh, I've had a terrible year. COVID had a terrible year over in the UK. So yeah. they're in need of some good racing. Yeah, Spartan race got completely changed around. Yeah. But no, nah, it should be good. We'll all cross our fingers that things stay on the schedule this year. Yeah, it's a shame that we didn't get to come over to Wales last year. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice. Mm-hmm. Everyone everyone over here was definitely really hoping to get over. But Sedevi. Well, you know what can't get cancelled is the Appalachian Trail. Coast to coast. There. Those things never get cancelled. No. And you've got a couple thousand people listening here who'd be happy to join you along the route. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. The more the merrier. You're gonna have to shower a bit more. Nah, fuck that. Stay dirty. Wash off the dirt, wash off the luck. <laughs> who said that? Genghis Khan said that. 
If we can't end on a Genghis Khan quote, what can we? <laughs> That'd be a first for us. I hope it comes across all right. I hope I don't sound like a complete douchebag. So. I can't edit that out. Mm. <laughs> 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 People probably think, oh, what a douche. Most likely. Yeah. Best case scenario. So if anybody wants to keep up with what you got going on, are you on social media? Is there any way for people to... Yeah, I'm still on it. I've deleted it off my phone for the moment because it just does my head in. But yeah, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I might put it back on the phone, see what happens after this. I don't know if I will or not because it's pretty old. But yeah, so I'm on... What, what am I on Instagram? Obstacle Race Dude. And on Facebook, I'm my name, Chris Shipley. But no one needs to follow me because that's a boring life. No one needs social media. People should stay off social media more. It's too much. I can't argue with that. Get out in the real world. Is that what people need to hear today? Yeah, people need to get out in the real world. Stay off social media, get out in the real world. I'll put lots of photos of my cats on social media. They look great. And there's a few of me on there that look good. You wouldn't have struck me as a social media cat guy. Yeah, well, I'm a cat guy. Cat, cats need more, more attention. Dogs get it all the time. You go to a pet shop and there's a big section full of dog stuff and then there's a tiny little cat section. Is this your platform for your next ultra endurance attempt? Yeah. Cat awareness? That's it. There it is. Well, sir, I, you left a couple, you dropped a couple little nuggets there to end on. I think we leave on that. Nice one. It was, um, it was good talking to you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. No, thanks, thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>